Welcome, ladies, to our Naomi's Table Bible Study. I'm Amy Spreeman. Today we're in the book of Malachi with teacher Beth Seifert. Make sure you go to Naomi'sTable.com and get the Malachi Study Guide to help you dig deeper. Well, let's open up our Bibles and begin today's lesson. Well, welcome to our new study in the book of Malachi, ladies. Today, we're going to just do an overview before we actually start reading the book tomorrow. We're going to discuss some of the things about this book that make it unique um, as we, so that we're prepared as we start to actually study this book. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and it is the last word for a pro- from a prophet for about 400 years. This was the last prophet to address Israel after the exile, likely around the time that Ezra and Nehemiah were also speaking to the people. All three prophets, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi, address very similar issues among the Israelites, including intermarriage with foreign wives, the degenerated priesthood, lack of tithe to God, and also social sins such as the disregard of those in poverty at the expense of preference for the wealthy. Malachi lets the people have it in these monologues that God gives to him to give to the people. This is a pattern that we see over and over in Malachi, where God gives Malachi the words to speak, making a statement or asking a question, somehow accusing the people of what they're doing. And the people respond by saying, insisting on their own innocence. Now, remember, they aren't actually talking to each other. This isn't actually a conversation that they're having. But God is using this method to demonstrate to the people that the things that he's saying to them are true based on how they are not honoring him, how their actions are. And he's pointing out that even their protests won't hold true. After giving those statements and then the people deny or evade the statement, God vindicates his statement through Malachi and gives evidence showing he is right. Now, it's not common for prophets to speak for God using the personal pronoun I. But here in Malachi, we see God addressing the people with the frequent use of I statements, adding an urgency and intimacy to what's being said. The nature of these statements shows who is ultimately the one sinned against, God. God is the most offended party when anyone sins, and especially for these returned exiles, they need to see how their sins are truly serious. We also are going to see that covenant is a very big theme in this book. It will mention the covenant of Levi with the priests, the covenant of the fathers, the covenant of marriage, the messenger of the covenant, and God's covenant love are all addressed in this short book. Covenant is a big deal, and the most important thing to understand is that while God continues to keep his covenants, the people have rejected and despised the covenants of God in their return from the Babylonian captivity. In Malachi, we see a direct assault on the priests and their incompetence and sin, which has had an impact on the entire nation. The priests had the charge of being the moral backbone of the people. They were to teach the law and to model it. When the priests fail due to their incompetence or their unfaithfulness, the result is seen in the people. After all, if the moral backbone of the people is corrupt, how can you expect the country to be pure? And it is evident that the people have not remained faithful. We'll see this in their marriages and divorces, in their social and economic relationships, and in various ways in which they despise the covenant they have with God. Unless the priests and the people repent, they will remain under God's curse. 
And this, by the way, was not arbitrary. God had told them explicitly in the law what they had to do to obey and what the consequences would be if they didn't obey. These curses should not be a surprise to the people, and yet they people act shocked and surprised that this could possibly be happening as a result of anything they had done. Israel at this point is in a terribly rough place. The people knew that there was a Messiah promised. They still, however, don't have a right expectation of what that would look like. So as they return from being captives in Babylon, they're still not free, not politically. They're still under the rule of another nation. They are not their own sovereign state. The people are expecting that at any moment, God is going to send the Messiah they expect to rescue them from the political and economic situation they're in. But it doesn't happen. The people are dealing with poverty, droughts, economic challenges, and more. And as they look at their circumstances, they doubt that God is who he says he is. We're back in the Garden of Eden again, ladies, with the people doubting God is good while denying that their own behavior is sin and that it might have anything to do with what they're experiencing. They truly seem to expect that once they return from the captivity, God would immediately rebuild their nation and they would be strong and go crush those who captured them. But that's not what God does. And so as they look for what they expect and don't see it, they doubt God. The result is that instead of turning back to his word, instead of repenting, they become indifferent to him. The people's love for God is cold, and they have grown bitter toward their God. The people naively thought that God's appearing, speaking through a prophet, would vindicate them in their behavior, no matter the condition of their hearts before God. But they hear some hard truths here in Malachi, and it points them to the reality that they don't get to sit in judgment over God. In some ways, especially as this is the last word from God for 400 years, this was a lesson for the people to remind themselves of when they're in times of doubt and disappointment and are tempted to break faith in their covenant with God. What we can see in Malachi is that while there is a small remnant who are still living in fear of the Lord and are honoring Him, they are the vast minority and the nation at large is looking for vindication for their sins as they doubt His goodness and faithfulness despite evidence to the contrary. Still, Malachi's ministry has an aspect of hope. His message is to ignite the people, ignite their faith, by reminding them of God's electing love that is not based on anything they have done, but simply that he has chosen them, and to set forth the continuing obligation of the covenant to those who truly know God. As one who truly seeks God would read this prophet's message, They would find hope and encouragement to hold fast, knowing that God does see them and that their faithfulness is not in vain. Malachi warns the people, just as Ezra and Nehemiah do, not to think and act like the pagan peoples around them, but to remain set apart. God promised that he would send a messenger of the covenant who would refine the people, and that promise is here in Malachi. That messenger would be Jesus. And Malachi shares this plan of God with the people, emphasizing that God does love and redeem and protect his people, and he also hates and judges his enemies. It's not a contradiction, and both things are right and good, and it's vital that the people understand that before they can properly humble themselves before God. Malachi's prophetic ministry really leaves us wanting more. 
It's obvious, as the book concludes, that the work of redemption that God promises is not complete yet, and you're left either hoping and trusting in God to provide what he has promised, or you're left rejecting God because he hasn't provided what your expectations said he would provide. Instead of rejoicing in God's goodness and in all the ways that he has continually demonstrated his faithfulness, the people see only their lack of fulfillment in their own expectations. They forget that he did bring them out of Egypt. They forget that he did let them into the promised land. They forget that he didn't kill every single one of them the moment that they failed to capture the promised land as he had told them to. They forget that he allowed them to live even as their kings became pagan and had them worshiping false gods. They've forgotten all this evidence of God's grace. All that they can see is the current poverty, oppression, and bondage to the Persians while they live in the land promised to them by God. Remember, they're back in that land. That's where they're living. They're living in that land, yet their hearts are so far from God that they don't even recognize that as God's grace. So many still go through the motions of faith, but their hearts are far from him. Only a remnant who truly feared the Lord and kept faith alive are looking forward for when God will send what he has promised. So the future at this point is really bleak. The people are not repentant, and it looks to the people like they've returned to the promised land just to watch their people slowly be eliminated. However, for the next 400 years... They will be in this weird, lingering place. But at the right time, and God's timing is always perfect, the Lord would return to the temple, again that's prophesied here, in the person of Jesus. Now, remember, and when he does come, he would completely end the old sacrificial system. He would put an end to all of their useless sacrifices. And at this point in time, ladies, the sacrifices really were useless. At this point, they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. No true atonement could actually be made because they couldn't sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. They couldn't do it. They didn't have the Ark. And they've also lost the priestly ephod that had the Urim and Thummim to seek God's counsel. Those objects have been removed from them. So even as the people go through these sacrifices, they know that there's a huge piece missing and they can't be made right with God. In his first coming, Jesus will come to seek and save that which is lost, but not just from Israel. Christ's message of salvation and reconciliation with God is one for every nation, tribe, and tongue. But when he returns the second time, he will return in glory and bring judgment to all who refuse him. And that's what the entire last chapter of Malachi is about. That second coming, that return, that return that will come with judgment. And Jesus, when he comes, is preceded by his messenger, who also is prophesied in Malachi, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was basically the last Old Testament prophet, even though he shows up in the New Testament. His coming was prophesied here, and he's the last time that we see God speak to a prophet the way that he spoke to John the Baptist as he spoke to the old prophets. This short book shows us the true nature of the covenants that God has set forth, and it shows off the universal offer of the gospel. It is indeed a book of hope and anticipation, 
to those who were holding fast to God. And that was much needed at that this time in Israel. And it's much needed in our world today. To those who had rejected God, this book was a bitter pill to swallow, learning that their guilt was upon their own heads because of their sin. We too need to learn to live by faith as we look and see all the ways God has already fulfilled His promises and hold fast to the promises that He has yet to fulfill. You can find the notes for the study under the Bible Studies tab of the website naomistable.com overview.